this thing on sweet guys welcome to jiu-jitsu's goat house where i talk to my guests about life love sex and you know all the things that make us who we are hang out with us for a little bit today and enjoy what we have to say or not but i bet you will and we are live welcome in sir thank you for having me i'm so glad to have you this is exciting yeah it's uh it's been a long time in the making um so I'm going to introduce my guest here, um, but before I introduce my guest, I want to talk a little bit about, or I want to, to in the way of introductions, um, introduce what he's about. So um, Old World Charm is the name. Yep. We will refer to him as Charm, um, and that's, uh, it's a brand now, right? It, it is. Like it's a brand. Yes, it's growing. It's a growing brand. It's, it's, it's almost like a cult at this point, to be honest. A cult following. Well, this is kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you, Charm, is um, I'm I'm curious about the ins and the outs of what you do uh, within within the persona and within the entity that is Old World, world Charm. Mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting. It's not uh, everyone's cup of tea, but I, I, I understand that it's become very popular and... and uh, I'm excited about that. Yeah. So uh, maybe introduce yourself a little bit. Yes, I'm, uh, I'm Old World Charm, known as, known as Charm. Um, I am a, um, someone who's gotten into voice acting, has gone into content creation. Uh, I had a few viral videos on TikTok that really set me up for a lot of success for, uh, for that cult following known as Charmers. Uh, okay. they're, they're a great group of people. Um, and then over time, it's filtered into... Uh, Instagram, it's it's filtered into the possibility of me um, kind of uh, taking this quality of my personality and the uh, desired effect of being a creator, a writer, uh, doing voice work, and making a very comfortable financial living off of. That's awesome. That's a. It's something I don't think I don't think that everyone could do. I think very few people could be successful at it. Um, this new, I feel like with. Um, with this, uh, with, with, with quarantine, with the whole COVID thing, um, the, the uprising and sort of the, some of the major success of TikTok has happened during that time. And so it's been a, a period of time where a lot of people uh, have become content creators and not all of it's good. <laughs> I've seen some really hokey stuff and, uh, and so it's refreshing when you see something that you know someone put some time into uh, and actually kind of does have an effect on you. And that seems to be what, what, what you're doing. Yes, I'm trying to counter uh, a lot of misinformation that is spread through the medium of TikTok through at least the things that I'm very confident and comfortable talking about. Okay. One of the biggest things that I've uh, found uh, a high demand in is uh, a community called Kink Talk. And it's all about uh, the BDSM world, uh, more specifically, for those people who might be intimidated by you know uh, that whole realm it's it's just the safety dynamics the um the lack of accessibility of real genuine information from life experience i try to learn from other people's mistakes and i try to teach people from my own um you know no one no one jumps off their first diving board with a perfect you know 360 spiral flip into the water and uh that analogy applies to uh things that people 
want to feel proficient in, including uh, sexual adventurousness. Right. Well, human sexuality is a part of all of us, and I think um, it doesn't really necessarily apply to just one demographic, which is nice about what you do because uh, once you're aware of your sexuality, that becomes a part of who you are. And so um, what you're doing with regards to informing people being not only, I guess, the, a creator of content that is erotic in nature, mm -hmm. but also helpful. Um, yeah, it's edu educational is the point of, of preference for me to approach anything through sexuality. Uh, sometimes I'll approach things comedically, obviously, to get a few laughs or, or help bridge that gap for people who have, you know, real no idea what it's like to um, to be uh, firmly cemented in that sexual identity and know what they're about, or, or at the very least, be comfortable with the idea of discovering the, the exposing yourself to new opportunities um, intelligently. It seems like when you use the word kink, it creates a specific feeling within most people. Mm -hmm. I think that it's it alienating is, as a word, isn't it? It can it can be. It seems to be polarizing mm -hmm. in that way, where if there's someone who's not exposed to fetish type stuff, mm -hmm. uh, like you you referenced BDSM, it. it, it it can be a little off-putting. It can seem extreme, I guess. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There is a, a definitive reaction against the extremism of things that people fear, and that is truly rooted in the fear of the unknown. Um, I know that every person on the planet, whether they know it or not, has a fetish, has a kink, has a very visceral psychological response uh, to something that entices them and titillates them. And a lot of people who are right now listening saying, oh, that's not me, you just haven't found it yet. And when you do, it's good to just explore that. If something awakens you or, or you're exposed to or uh, something that you're ashamed of specifically, you should really try to deviate from that shame as much as possible and approach it um, either clinically or, or comfortably with barring the exception of things that you know uh, lack consent uh, or lack an element with adults, right? Or without adults, excuse me. It's it's always with adults and consent is pretty much the baseline. Is there is there anything is there anything that you've encountered, I guess, in that world uh, that is just a major barrier for you? It's like what 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 have you run into that you're just that you don't feel like you can be even super comfortable educating people on or going down that road for people that might have something some kind of kink that doesn't appeal to you at all um well i i like to stand on on solid footing which is rooted in my own anecdotal experience or at the very least things that i've engaged others with very deeply that you know it's like might not be my my cup of tea uh or my tequila but for me it's it's fine for me to learn about and to get as much information on as far as what my comfort level is with. There's almost nothing um, within, like I said, the, the basic parameters that I've been exposed to. Um, I'm comfortable talking about it. There's certain things that I know innately that just aren't for me. Like if you kind of know where you are on the Kinsey scale, uh, which is your you know uh, hetero to homo sexuality scale, you can pretty much ascertain quickly without needing to try things what's for you and what's not for you. Okay. So. Is that the best advice you would give to someone who's kind of thinking about 
kind of dipping their toe into the pool of, of kink or fetish? So, so the best advice, I, the most common question is, how did you get into kink? And what people ask me that, they're trying to find a, a, an entry point for themselves. Uh, what, what I, I consider myself lucky. I had very open-minded and partners who are great at communication, which is the absolute bare minimum that we should all have. Not just communication, but comprehension. Because you could be the mo like yourself, you're one of the most eloquent guys I know. You've probably been surrounded by people who your communication has been wasted on because the scope of their emotional intelligence really couldn't receive what you were trying to present to Absolutely. them. Absolutely. And that's unfortunate. So it's not just communication being key, but comprehension. Um, the, the advice I give people is um, find someone that you really trust or multiple people if that's your thing. And from that point, you could go and see the beautiful spider web of ideas, experiences, um, and always feel like you are being your, your, your authentic self and being received safely, comfortably, because sexuality is a, not just a physical adventure, it's very deeply psychological. Uh, a lot of people have a lot of trauma that bleeds into uh, their sexuality. And once again, that's associated with shame, and that's something I want to break people away from. Um, you know, there's there's a lot there that one podcast, unfortunately, can't cover as much as I'd love to be able to go full out. Sure, it makes sense. Um, what, what what you're saying, it it seems like that you've found an element of yourself that you want to help other people with. And uh, one of the things you were saying before we started recording the podcast was you're also uh, well, actually, before we leave this, um, so as a creator, uh, what specifically is it, and I, we kind of talked about this a little before the podcast, but um, you mentioned that, uh, that there's levels to what you do, and yeah, um, some are accessible by everyone, and then there's an additional level of like a subscription that you, mm -hmm. um, that you, that you can create specialized content for people. Yes. So the charm, the old world charm kind of brand is, is really just me being my genuine self. And when I discovered that was very well received by a, a myriad of personalities and, and demographics, um, what I discovered is I want that to be freely accessible. So um, the origin of it was me sharing very intense stories about my life that are, I'd say are pretty unique. I survived a plane crash. I beat cancer. Um, I've dealt with uh, some pretty harrowing experiences uh, and gone through a fair bit. And when uh, people kind of um, have their own battles and see someone thriving despite the adversity, it, it, it has a magnetism to it. People want to be around the constants among the variables in their life. You could say that some of your best friendships or you know, even people you've never met but you have an online connection with are people who are just genuinely the most consistent people you can always rely on. I have several friends that I've never met that I engage and somehow, I'd accidentally, I've become that for a following of people by being sincere, authentic, and, and sharing at, at my core, encouraging and motivating, um, I wouldn't say just advice, but um, just pieces of myself for other people to take with as they will. Right. And then from there, uh, I discovered that at the educational component that we were just talking about, what the things that I happen to know a great deal about, having either researched it or lived it or make it kind of a piece of my, my core identity, uh, the pursuit of, of um, 
I wouldn't say mastering sexuality, but always being the white belt, you know, uh, as far as approaching any, um, any of my passions, always learning from other people constantly. And then realizing people kind of said, hey, I really like the way you talk, I like your voice. I fall asleep to it. I sometimes, you know, people have said when I'm dealing with my anxiety or struggling, I will pull, pull up one of your videos and that one minute long video of you talking is all I need to ground myself again. And that was pretty humbling. Absolutely. And, and from there I thought, well, I want people to have access to that. I want to be able to quit my job. So the time that we're kind of, kind of breaking my back, so to speak in a way and financially support myself, not really trying to ask for the generosity of others, but trying to always have an exchange of, I want to give something and if people find it worthy of paying for, then by all means, enjoy yourself. But I've never been comfortable receiving um, like um, charity, I guess, for lack of a better okay. word. But and when you're providing a service that affects and it, the quality of people's lives in a positive way, and they're happy to contribute to what you're doing so that you can continue to do that, it becomes a service. It becomes, yeah. um, it, it becomes something that not only you can feel good about, but you can also support yourself and continue to create that. It It's very encouraging to take. It's It's been a recent thing for me. It's probably uh, been, uh, I'd say, fully developed in just the last four months to the point where um, I know exactly the vision I have for where I'm going with it. I've already started um, as a writer recording my, my poetry or short stories and people uh, love it no matter how short it is it could be a 20 second long reading to I have you know seven minute long readings and, and, and people are absolutely um, the feedback I get is nothing but positive um, which is fantastic I do uh, anti-anxiety audios uh, specifically because I've seen how it can turn the tide in someone's mental health journey just to have a voice that they genuinely believe and cares about them and I, I, I don't ever want to present myself as a opportunistic or facetious I try to be as genuine in my care of even um, the most arbitrary of interactions, like the passing of ships in the night of strangers. So, one of the beautiful things I think about you is, and I've known you for an awful long time. Yeah, long time. We've been we've been friends for eighteen years, decades. Yeah, and so uh, is the genuine is the genuine connection. That's it's very rare with people, uh, but even even just through text message, we can express. Uh, how much we appreciate each other and, and, and just check up on each other. And that's a that's a kind of a rare thing nowadays to just be able to check up and make sure that your friends are okay. And that's something that you're good at doing uh, as far as even just on a level where there's no real benefit for you. But it, it, it the genuine nature of it and your genuine nature kind of bleeds into, it bleeds into what you're doing here and it has become what you're doing here now as far as, as far as old world charm and so um what 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 platforms are you using right now um so the the, the thing that boosted me originally like i said was tiktok and i'm old world charm on tiktok um instagram has has been kind of a necessity uh somehow just like i said more of a social media presence but the the real thing uh, and on uh instagram i'm underscore old world charm underscore but the real plug-in for myself that has allowed me to financially support myself enough to really delve into creating more quality and more diverse projects has been patreon um my my patreon subscribers just started just the 2021 january 
um, has already allowed me so much freedom to invest in quality sound equipment, which I've, I've never dealt into to, um, like I said, disband with um, a type of work that has affected my health. I have a rare autoimmune illness that under any perceived stress, mental or physical, uh, my body starts attacking itself. And uh, at its worst, <coughs> at its worst, um, you know, I'm, I'm very immune compromised and having a history of cancer, cancer could come back. Uh, I'm not uh, disenfranchised from the nature of, you know, being in the clear a certain amount of years uh, is no, ex no excuse to be complacent. Uh, and then um, the worst it ever really got was I, um, my, I was bleeding from the mouth so severely that uh, I woke up throwing up blood because I'd swallowed enough blood wow. uh, over the course of the night in my sleep. And I, uh, I couldn't eat, I couldn't drink because of the pain of the, uh, just the internal damage of this. That's intense, man. Yeah, so I, I never want that again. And that sounds terrifying. It is. It, I thought I was going to die. I lost a lot of weight, a lot of energy. Uh, I was found on the bathroom floor multiple times from the lethargy of it to the point where I can feel it coming on. I text a friend saying I've got maybe two hours before this gets to a point where I, I can't support myself physically I can't stand up so uh, leave the door unlocked and hopefully nothing bad happens and people have shown up and um, lifted me back into bed and, and taken care of me and it's uh, like I said it's it's intense it's scary but at the end of the day um, very grateful to have this opportunity to avoid a stressful lifestyle to have friendships and uh, uh, relationships business or otherwise that are projecting me away from that low point yeah you mentioned super briefly that you were involved in a plane crash. I don't know too many people have been involved in a plane crash. Yeah. Tell me about that. And I, I guess I don't. I I never picked in to figure out all the specifics. Yeah. So I I I rarely you know try to uh, broach you know the the conversation of harrowing near life experiences. You know to quote Fight Club uh, on people and, unless there's a genuine interest because I. I don't know. I don't like talking about myself too much, and that's right. A big... and people love to try to one up you. <laughs> yes. People try, love to try to one up right. you as far as the, the yeah, things uh, they've been through. You know, and it's cool to, to have that experience where you bond over, like I said, something that could be described as tragic or, or um, uh, like I said, very. Uh, well, let's just call it traumatizing. Trauma rooting rooted in trauma. Mm -hmm. But for the plane crash, um, it did kick off a series of events that has brought me to where I'm in life right now, and for that, I was I'm always grateful. So. Um, you know, if you're okay, I'll go with the story right now. Yeah, I'd love right. to hear it. And stop me if there's a point that you want me to elaborate on. Um, yeah, no. Go ahead. So um, I was going to school in Oregon at the time, and um, I uh, was working in a boxing gym. Um, woke up, you know, right before dawn, and in Oregon, you know, that's that's a lot of ice and snow, and uh, it was such a great time, a great experience in my life to be exposed to new things. And um, one of those new things happened to be a, a friend I made, an older gentleman in his 60s, um, and such a big, lively personality. I late, you know, he's he was genuine. I befriended him genuinely. So, uh, and then I quickly realized he was insanely rich, and 100% um, friendly, no ulterior motive in as a person to befriend me, and was always offering to take, you know, for my friends and myself out. Just a just a guy who wanted to have full life with people of his energy which happened to be younger people and the guy had game the guy could be a total gentleman around women uh and, and even if they were a third his age and just be the absolute uh, charming example of a gentleman 
And slowly but surely, um, we got close enough to the point where, you know, he said, I, I know your family lives far away. I have a private plane. If you ever want to see him, I'll fly you out. You know, it wouldn't be an inconvenience for me because I've always got things I want to do, especially in, you know, Southern California. Yeah. Um, and I was absolutely humbled because he saved me basically a 10 to 12 hour drive to turn it into a two and a half hour flight. Yeah. Uh, I'd never flown on a private plane before. He'd been a pilot for literally more years than I'd been alive at the time, which was 24 years old. 23, about 23, 24, yeah. And um, so we got on this plane. Uh, it was awesome. It was an acrobatics plane. He, uh, he was excellent. He even taught me to let me fly. No problems on the way down to this beautiful area that is San Luis Obispo. And on our way back, uh, after you know the fun trip, we hit a pretty severe headwind. And for those of you guys who you know don't know what that is, it's basically when the wind um, is going against you and slowing the plane's uh, progress down. They have to use more fuel. Uh, it takes a lot longer to uh, get from point A to point B. Mm. And it got to the point where we were kind of he was doing calculations as he does responsibly as a pilot, and he said, you know, we we might have to refuel. But ultimately, we'll probably, if we stayed the course and kept up with this headwind, uh, we'll get to our destination, the landing strip, um, just on, on, um, on empty, basically. Okay. And I said, uh, well, what happens when a plane has, has no fuel? He says, oh, the engine shuts off. I can turn it off right now and show you. It becomes a glider. And I said, no, 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 no. I'm good. <laughs> like, immediately, right. I was like, do not turn off the engine of this plane, this perfectly fine working plane at... You know, I don't even know what we were at. Probably like 7,000 feet in the air. Mm, okay. Um, and a lot of people are like, oh, this is where the plane crash happens. No, no. I managed to convince them I didn't need. That's what I thought. Too. Yeah. yeah. Everyone's like, oh, so this is how this happens. Um, but ironically, um, you know, my me being the fool that I am was keyed into the statistics of plane crashes. And that's during takeoffs or landings is when they were most likely. So doing some quick math, I go, well, if we skip an extra landing and takeoff, we lower the likelihood of a crash. Well, that was wrong. <laughs> in this case, in, <laughs> in this, this case, case in this wrong. case, it proved to be the cause <laughs> the, the, of the plane crash. The polygraph the test determined that that was a lie. <laughs> that was a lie. Yes. Oh man. So we force it, force our way, hoping the headwind lets up, and it never did. So lo and behold, we're running on empty, on, on fumes, so to speak, and coming in. And we can see the landing strip. We can see you know, the, beautiful, the beautiful Southern Oregon region, uh, private airstrip. And uh, I'm happy. I'm thinking, wow, we made it. And as we're crossing into the valley of Southern Oregon, we are hit with a freak wind off the valley floor. It takes us from our landing approach, smooth and steady as it was, into a, uh, the equivalent of a motorcycle doing a wheelie. Jesus. Uh, uh, so we go from looking at the beautiful horizon and the landing strip to I'm looking straight up at sky right in front of me. Um, the pilot, you know, having the experience that he has, never been in a crash before, uh, but you know, because of his proficiency, um, had to make a split second decision. Truly, within I'd say less than one second time, he had to decide between two courses of action. One, which is the knee jerk reaction of all pilots in training to a bad landing or bad engagement of a landing, is uh, to abandon it and try again. But he quickly kind of, I think, determined very quickly, like I said, less than one second of thinking time here, realized that we didn't have the gas, the fuel to, to, do, to do circle safely because if you, you know, you guys who know Oregon, it's, it's a lot of trees. And the only other thing we could have safely landed on was a highway, which 
that's not going to be good. So right. he decided he's going to have to fight the wind. And this valley wind was viciously strong to the point where if he had overcorrected and fought it fully to level out, had it abandoned itself, had it dissipated immediately, we would have nosedived and hit the ground at 70-something knots, 90, about 90-something miles an hour, Damn. and died instantly. No doubt in my mind. You don't hit the ground at that angle that hard and live. Right, there's not a lot of forgiving. There's no, there, yeah, yeah. Physics says you're dead. So mm -hmm. he managed to have the wherewithal, like I said, amazingly within like an ungodly amount of reflexes and mental power, half correct with, I'm no doubt with that in mind, that if the wind abandoned, we'd be okay. Unfortunately, the wind never let up. So we hit pretty severely at such a, a extreme angle. At least we weren't doing the equivalent of a wheelie, but it was pretty dang close that the rear end of the plane made such vicious contact that we ripped the, the rear landing gear instantly off. And what contact uh, that was left of the plane in the back end caused a sudden friction fulcrum effect. So the sudden friction of hitting the tarmac caused us to slam so violently that we not only bent the landing gear uh, all the way out to the wings, but popped the tires instantly. Wow. So now you have this propeller plane that's the, now the propeller is the biggest thing underneath the plane. Mm. So it's biting into the tarmac, shredding the engine right in front of me. Um, and it's all happening, quite honestly, not even in just slow motion, but you remember those toys that you just <clears throat> hold it in front of your eyes and click through the pictures? Right. That's exactly what looking through my own eyeballs, my own brain processing power, the adrenaline was so high that they say, oh, in a, in a car accident, you move in slow motion or anything kind of scary in slow motion. This was such a degree of, of terror that my brain was only giving me like a shudder wow. at a time. Um, and I kept thinking to myself, my, my worst fear isn't to die. This isn't the first time I've almost died. My worst fear is to be paralyzed from the neck down. And yeah, I, I just it's hope. Terrifying. Yeah, it's to be helpless. <clears throat> That's a whole other subject matter right there. But um, I just kept thinking, I hope this plane doesn't roll to its side, snap a wing, and start spinning uh, and crash, crushing it, you know, the cockpit into the ground and my neck being just this absolute ragdoll effect with, you know. Right, because you're strapped in pretty well. Strapped in super well and basically I've just got this cervical spine and a bowling ball on top of it. Everything that's mobile. Yeah. Right. Um, so he was, he was amazing without landing gear and a propeller in front of us that's absolutely obliterated. He managed to use uh, what steering he could to keep us straight enough to hit a ditch and stop. Um, walked out you know he was cussing and apologizing all in, all in one vigorous breath and i just get out and i'm stunned i thought of course of course i'd get into a plane crash my first time flying in a private plane that's just that's par for the course for me um you know kissed the ground practically uh looked around this is a private airship so there's no personnel there's no emergency there's no tower and the first thing he says is we've got to clean up the pieces of our own plane on the runway before another plane comes in or oh. they're screwed. Yeah, that's present. And then we're responsible for their death. Right. So I, I end up helping this man clean up the pieces of the plane I just crashed in. That's an experience. Which is insane. Yeah. Um, and then him All and the I. while somebody could be landing maybe right, they on just, you. Yeah, on, yeah, exactly. And I, I didn't realize this, but the impact of hitting the ground caused the front of my the frontal lobe of my brain to impact the front of my skull so sharply that I had a, a concussion uh, and mild brain trauma that the symptoms came later and I'll get into that. Wow. But uh, 
him and I, me and this 60, I forget how old these 66, 67 year old man dragged a wheelless plane back to the hangar and all the pieces with it. The adrenaline coursing in my veins at the time made it feel like I was taking out cardboard to the trash. That's how it felt with this plane. Wow. It was crazy. I feel like if, if you had put me into a cage match, I, I would feel absolutely confident enough to take on a, a small bear. I was just yeah. so amped. Just rip limbs off. Yeah. yeah. I feel like the things that I was doing with my body casually uh, was a, an imperceptible degree of superhuman strength in that moment. That's unbelievable. You know, you hear about it. You hear about uh, mothers lifting cars off of their children, and it's true. And there was a uh, there was a, a study that I that I read, and they were talking about the superhuman ability, mm -hmm. you know, under times of duress, high stress situations. Yeah. Um, but the the problem that they had was that they were unable to duplicate the result mm. within a non-emergency situation. Yeah, it's unethical. Absolutely. Right. Um, it, it, it was a, it was an interesting it was an interesting read, but very cool to like to, to even think about what the human body would could could potentially be capable of. Yes, um, when you see people who are deceptively strong in their bodies by being smaller framed human beings and someone who's in combat sport like you, what you're actually seeing is someone's nervous system being more developed to tell the muscles to increase the output to a degree of load that reaches their full potential. Uh, strength is slowly being determined by your neurological connection more than your muscle mass. Our body kind of limits how strong we can be to protect us from destroying ourselves, but it takes that failsafe off in conjunction with the adrenaline rush right. and the epinephrine for you to be able to do some insane things because the brain goes, well, I'd rather live and deal with the damage that I'm about to receive than cease existing. So time to take the safety off and go full tilt. And yeah. if I tear my biceps off my attached tendons lifting something then so be it it's really wild what we're capable of man it's really wild and i think you have a i mean i don't think i know that you have a knowledge of the human body that far surpasses most people's being as how you're you know you're also very fit mm -hmm. and um and and really in that world um but that was that's wild man that's like i i'm like I'm, my palms are sweating yeah. thinking about like I'm, I'm visualizing what happened and and like how i might respond or it's really, t I mean, impossible to, to feel the same way you felt, but but even imagining, even hearing the stories, is stressful. Very. I, I do suffer from PTSD. Uh, ironically, at the time, I was studying to be a clinical psychologist while going to school in Oregon at the time, and, and I'd read about PTSD, and I'd spoken with veterans who are, you know, the uh, one of, the, I guess, the most obvious demographic of people on the planet who suffer horribly from PTSD. Um, as well as, you know, uh, domestic uh, abuse or, or sexual violence survivors. And, you know, you think you know PTSD. You think reading it in a book, you think talking to people, you think watching movies that's all portrayed a certain way. But lo and behold, it was just, it's just the tip of the iceberg for the experience. You have to experience it yourself. And I didn't experience it myself until my first, uh, my first flight afterwards. Totally snuck up on me. Yeah. Um, I was nervous, of what course. What was that like? Um, I was, it was... Uh, it was eye-opening. Um, I'm sitting on a commercial plane, very safe. You know, like I said, planes are ultimately safer than cars, always. Commercial plane, the bigger the plane, usually the safer a plane. So I'm, I'm logically feeling very confident, excited to get home, see my family. I'm sitting in between a, uh, a professor, a former professor at the college I went to. We're having a great conversation, this sweet little old lady. 
And then to my right is this big burly dude who I can only describe looks like a, you know, a classic biker. Okay. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and so I'm talking with this wonderful old lady, having a great time along the flight. And then suddenly we're going into the descent for the landing. And the simulation of the plane descending into the landing set off a, some sort of a ter- internal bomb that had been basically ticking to recreate the uh, uh, subconscious and sublayered physiological response to Im- Im- impending death, which is what I felt, Oof. of course, in the plane. So I'm, I'm, I'm under the uh-huh. physiological belief that I'm about to die, which consciously we can talk about it and you listeners are thinking about, oh, well, I'm thinking about what it'd be like to die. Well, logical thought and anything I can describe to you doesn't really cover it. It's what your body goes in that direction. It, it, it's almost, it's very difficult to return back from chemically what's going on inside you. And for me, it was, you know, white knuckling grip, the, the arms of the chair, and like you said, sweating profusely, my heart rate beating intensely, and my eyes having the tunnel effect. All of these, um, you know, they are, they are not even enough to describe the sum of their parts in full effect. And this little old lady looks over to me and goes, are, are you okay, dear? And I look over to her and go, I, I think I'm suffering from PTSD because I was in a plane crash and this is the first flight I've been on. And she goes, oh, I'll hold your hand. And she just did the little cute, little, cutest little <laughs> classic old lady move where she's yeah. just like patting the back of the hand and the big biker to my right just goes, wait a minute, you, you were in a plane crash? <laughs> and I go, yeah, uh, I walked away from the plane crash. Um, <clears throat> and he goes, great <laughs> like, oh, like, man, I, like brought I brought my bad luck with bad, with me man albatross on your neck right just, oh man why'd you have to sit me next to this guy this guy but you know what's funny is i i always tell people any plane i get on now is statistically safer because right. what are the odds of being in two plane crashes knock on wood of course but astronomical I, right you know so i i um but then again my life is stranger than fiction um you know the the thing that shocks people is um me telling them I got cancer like less than six months after the plane crash. Oh, I didn't know. It was, I didn't know it was after. Yeah, it was right after. Uh, wow. But they think that it was the it was a unique circumstance of the the plane crash causing cancer. Really? Yeah. How so? So the body tries to destroy cancer cells as efficiently as possible under the ideal circumstances of your body being on your side. Well, I already have an autoimmune disorder, and when stressed. And what could be as stressful as a plane crash? It just does crazy It shit. does crazy things. So my immune system, without me knowing, was was waylaid to mm. an extent where the parts of us that kill cancer cells every day in our body was made to be basically had their hands tied behind their back and said, go ahead and perform this, you know, this battle with cancer. And the cancer cells um, got away from my immune system and I developed cancer very quickly. Um, thankfully, I'm very self-aware I don't know. I've always been, you know, I diagnosed my own appendicitis at 12 years old. Uh, just one of those things where I could tell when something's wrong. And I've been surrounded by my mom's medical books growing up as a kid where I was like, look at the pretty pictures. Like one of the weirdest things is, you know, side tangent is I knew what um, STIs and STDs looked like before I knew what sex was because I had access to her medical books. Yeah, so I did like, that. Yeah. My so dad, yeah. Great. great. Was like a paramedic and he had this huge book. <laughs> he had this huge book and we would go through it and look at all the at all the awful stuff and just like there was a guy that had like blown into his hand with a shotgun oh "Oh my god God. you gotta see this we show our friends (laughs) yes oh man i'm glad that someone else can relate to that unique medical parent experience it's my my siblings and i still kind of remind each other of that (laughs) (laughs) stupid book there was a lot of stuff 
And then, you know, we were little too, so there was a couple, um, there was a couple chapters in there or whatever on, on sexuality and whatnot. And we were like, oh yeah, there's boobs. Because if you like earmark the page, it's, <laughs> Yeah, yeah that's just the kid. life of being a, a teenage boy, man. Yeah, um, it is. There's it really is. no excuse, but there's really also no complex explanation either. So the cancer thing came at just six months after the plane crash, crash, which yeah. is which is wild. Um, how how did that how did that change your life though? I guess I mean <sighs> the thing is we know everybody knows a cancer is someone that's had cancer. A lot of us know cancer survivors, mm-hmm. um, but we don't really dig into into what the effects are i think your 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 average person thinks there's a tumor you feel weird you go you get it cut out then they hit it with something and mm-hmm. then you move on with your life if you survive it um that's a very actually that's a pretty excellent uh simplified explanation um yeah you led very well with actually how i like to lead and it's like everyone cancer is such a prevalent part of modern modern the modern world um, we all have some exposure to it, uh, right. whether, like you said, we either know someone, um, who has dealt with it. We know someone who's died from it. We've had it ourselves. Um, you know, the, the, there's, there's very few stepping stones in between most people and cancer. Right. True. So, um, I mean, I think that someone told me that it's like, look to your left, look to your right. You know, one of the three of you is going to have cancer. That's scary, man. Yeah. Fuck cancer. Uh, it's, yeah. It's, it's kind of it's crept into my life so much lately that it's wild, dude. Mm. It's wild. Um, someone very close to me, a housemate for years, um, I think she's like maybe thirty, just got cancer. Yeah. I mean, she just, just she just had surgery and she had a you know uh, a dual mastectomy and then mm. she's got to go back in and have the reconstruction and then they got to do a bunch of other stuff and I think it's she a did, nightmare. Yeah, it, it, it really is. It's really sad and it's crazy because, you know, you referenced earlier, we have like, we have cancer cells all in our body, but our body decides to fight them and sometimes it doesn't win that fight. Mm-hmm. And just the sheer number of people that have had it is wild. And the fact that we we can sort of treat the symptoms of it, mm. but we haven't been able to cure it. That's a, I can, I don't want to get into that because... It is a multi-hundred billion dollar a year industry, and I, I am, I'll say this: I'm of the belief that what we have access to is easily accessible to finding, or just either have found, or on the cusp of finding a cure. I believe the same thing. But uh, I believe the same thing. There's a lot of money in keeping people sick. Yes, and treating them the rest of their life. Yeah, and it's it's it's, I mean, we could talk all day, I guess, about capitalism and, and well we, we, we could talk all day about crony capitalism corporatism right cronyism, uh, because we've never um, had a chance at a true free market capitalism i think um yeah it's a it's a that's a huge subject yeah it's a huge we'll, subject we'll, i'll come back of, and we'll do that one with lots of eyes <laughs> yeah um, I, I, but, but cancer is a weird one man it's a it's it's awful man it's, I'm, I'm i'm amped that you survived i i at the time i don't even know that I knew that you had cancer, and I think we we didn't have as much contact. Yeah. One of the nice things about the past ten years, maybe more, mm. I guess more is is the access we all have to social media and the connectivity we share to each other. Mm. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've run well, into people. In all fairness, I was keeping it close to the best because I wasn't sure I was going to make it, you know, and I needed to really put my energy in the right place. Um, it was, 
Yeah, would you mind if I told the story about kind of the diagnostic yeah, go ahead. experience talk, here? Talk about it. That's why we're here, man. Um, so I had basically I had testicular cancer for the for the listeners, and um, that's pretty common actually in, in men in their early twenties. But what's crazy is um, I knew more about how to find breast cancer than I knew about testicular cancer. I'm mm. not the owner of a pair of breasts, but I knew so much because of the education system had catered excellently, and I'm very happy about that, towards um, the awareness for young women in breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And not just young women, but really any woman. But being a, a guy, I was never given the explanation or the tools or the resources or the awareness of how to self-inspect. And if you ask almost any guy, I mean, maybe one in 10 will be able to tell you, uh, A, how he knows how to inspect for testicular cancer, or B, if he if he does it all. Well, educate us on that, man. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm I'm aware of the procedure. I'm yeah. aware of the self-examination thing, but for those of us that aren't, for the listeners yeah. that aren't, let's talk about that. Yeah, for a lot of us, uh, you know, our, our, our anatomy can be a mystery. Um, you know, guys are, are fortunate in that we're external in our uh, genital anatomy, so there's less mystery to explore there. But ultimately, what you're working with is you've got your nutsack. I'm not. I'm like just totally disbanding scientific yeah, no, terminology we, I, here. We don't have to be clinical, man. Yeah. I know that we're. And, this is a relaxed environment. Cool. Um, and so you got your your balls, and you've got the tubes, um, and you always want to just kind of inspect the balls independently, the surface. You'll find glands on them. Right. And if those glands are, that's normal. But if they ever cause you pain. They might be inflamed. That could be your diet. That's something I've discovered over time. That over over time, glands can be very sensitive to uh, inflammatory foods that you eat. But generally speaking, you always be very mindful of pain and monitoring regular checkups so that you can see uh, if anything changes. Right. You never want to let any change in any part of your body get away from you without some sort of medical examination, um, especially when it comes to the size. Uh, shape, texture, um, pain levels of something as as particular as this part of your body. I mean, men, men most men I know don't take the chance. Right. As in, as soon as you feel pain, most men are going to go, "Well, this is this is kind of one of my favorite parts of me. I'd hate for something terrible to happen to it." Sure. You know, and so uh, you know, for me, not having really inspected anything one night. Um, I, I sat down and was immediately hit with the, the caliber of pain of a NFL punter just smashing into my groin. Oh, my God. It brought me to my knees. I couldn't stand up for five minutes. I tried actively to get up. It wasn't me just going there and going, well, I was just hit with the pain. It was me trying to get on my feet because I wanted you to, you know, to be able to stand up, lean on the bed, to at least be able to take off my, uh, I think it was like my pajama, my pajama pants so I could see what the hell just happened to me. Right, and but you I, were 24 years old. 20, yeah, 23, 24, yeah. Unbelievable. Um, I wind knocked out of me. I mean, we've all been like hit in the, in the <clears> junk, <throat> but this, like I said, I remember the amount of time passed that I was just like truly well, like like what debilitated. You know, like I was like, someone could come in here oh and totally God. kick my ass for, for like a child could take me out right now because I couldn't get my, my legs under me. I couldn't get anything other than just fold it over. Wow, and it just happened all of a sudden. It just it was it was it was the impact of what it was the tumor being jarred and causing a pain response. Now here's the scary part: only thirty three percent of men who have testicular cancer have the pain symptom. 
Oh, wow, that's so at scary. least 66% of men are going about their lives thinking they're fine, not checking themselves, and it gets worse and worse and worse to the point where it's critical mass and spreads to your uh, lymphatic system or, or any other part of you, then that's where you have to you have to fight for your life. This really makes me want to pull my ball sack out and give it a good once over. I'll help you out, buddy. Yeah. So probably after a shower is going to be yeah. like nice and or, warm shower uh, where you're yeah, kind of hanging loose. Yeah, and like... definitely. That's a great, yeah. Uh, cold weather is going to bite, uh, but totally freak you out <clears throat> because everything is just a little bit too different and constricted. Yeah. But yeah, you want hot a hot shower, uh, in the shower even. That's kind of usually when I do my checkups um, for myself. Um, I feel like a bath would be optimal if you took baths. Um, yeah, I mean, if you if you take whatever regular, because you ultimately want the conditions to be the same for for comparative reasons. Okay. That so, makes sense. so um, carry on. Oh yeah. So, so you're, you, so you felt this pain. So I felt this pain, and I was um, with my partner at the time, but she had fallen asleep. Mm-hmm. I'd stayed up. I I was a, an avid late night video gamer. Um, as am I. You're right. It's one of those things where it's like I always try to cater to my partner until she's unconscious and I get some of my own decompressing time because if anyone who's ever been in a uh, cohabitation long-term or long dis- or, yeah, long-term relationship, you try to give as much attention to your partner as possible for the success of that relationship. Yeah, okay. And then and then you take care of you know what you want as a gamer. Um, I found that unless you have a partner who understands the <clears> dynamic <throat> of what video games are and participates, it's just kind of almost feels like a... Uh, a disconnect when you play yeah, with her awake. Like it's a time robber. Yeah, a time is a perfect example. So anyway, I always waited till she passed out before I really got into it. And um, lo and behold, you know, I'm I'm in this pain, and I just I'm thinking, you know, I live like only a few minutes away from the hospital. I don't I don't need to wake her, but I just kind of woke her enough to tell her, hey, I'm going to the hospital. In all fairness, I woke her just the bare minimum, knowing she's such a heavy sleeper that it was for me not having the guilt of leaving without saying I told her right. I was going she to the hospital so she didn't yeah, yeah. freak she out. She wake up and flip out because yeah. you're gone. Yeah, but I was, like I said, I just I just didn't want her to have to worry about it. It was like one in the morning. And then I drove to the hospital and the doctor, a young doctor, a young male doctor who was inspecting me, man, he was just, he was awful. Um, he was standoffish. His bedside manner was terrible. He was flirting with the attending nurse uh, right in front of me while just like grabbing and squeezing my junk. He would find the pain site and he would just squeeze it. And when I reacted in pain, he squeezed harder. Hmm. It was just the weirdest, weirdest <clears throat> experience. Like I, I know nothing about this kind of checkup. Like but I this said, this can't be fucking right. I was like, this can't be right. Like why is like I just the, the part that like clued me in at his lack of professionalism was like I said him, him like flirting with the nurse. Like, and just like, I don't know, you know, we, I'm definitely not a, the kind of person to exaggerate a, a social observation, you know, right. like I'm calling a spade a spade on this one. Like it's one of those things. My parents are in the medical field, you know? Um, so it was really weird. He was young, unprofessional. And I was really unhappy about being in pain and being stuck with this guy, uh, to the point where, um, you know, afterwards he's like, you know, this is probably a, you know, a, a virus, maybe an STI or something like this. I said, well, buddy, like I've been in the same relationship for the last about three years now um you know i know i i I can very rarely say in in my history of relationships that i can point to my partner and say that person's 100 percent loyal to me that person hasn't been screwing around with me there's no way i have it unless i screwed around on them which i hadn't right so this is one of those few people that you meet in life where you're like i never have to worry about them right Um, i wish that for everyone by the way that you have someone in your life where you're like when someone's like oh yeah yeah you, you probably have an sdi and the only possibility is you or them not going to be a factor. Right. Uh, so 
um, I said, you know, what if it's something, you know, worse? He said, well, just take this antibiotics and come back in a few weeks. Had I listened to that advice, I probably would be dead. Really? Because the, the cancer would have, in, to, in that much time of spreading and waiting, <clears throat> uh, and, that, you know, it would have, had, would have definitely been a very aggressive. And just to tell you, like, the, I think it was the next day, I think it was two days, yeah, it was the weekend. As soon as Monday showed around, you know, I got a second opinion. And I spoke with the doctor, got in there with him, um, and he said, hey, um, you know, if it, after the whole inspection, they did, you know, they did, they did blood work, they did everything, but, you know, they're waiting on blood work. He's got, he did the physical inspection, which was much more gentle, much more clinical. Thank God. Uh, much more educational. <clears throat> and he said, it looks like a duck, sounds like a duck. It's probably a duck. So... What I'm telling you is, it looks like cancer, sounds like cancer. Um, you know, I can get you in as a surgeon in two days' time. Fuck, man, that's scary. You're gonna, you know, he basically just said, you know, you got two days to get your stuff taken care of, you know, mentally. And, um, you know, he said, best case scenario, I've taken a testicle um, that didn't have cancer, and do you have a spare? That was like yeah. the best case scenario because he's, he didn't want to wait long enough for blood work to come back. He said, as sense. soon as I can. I mean, he said, just everything I know, is, you know, in his life experience, great surgeon, great doctor. Um, he, he was telling me, we got to act now. I mean, if I could today and tomorrow, I would, but we got two days to wait. And, Jesus. and in that time, in two days, by the way, it went from like my testicles sw got swollen all the way to about a little smaller than my fist. I've got pretty big fucking the one, fists. The one the testicle? The one testicle that was cancerous. Oh, my God. In, like, a span of maybe four or five days, like I said, total, some total time, went from normal to I couldn't even put pants on practically. I didn't even know that cancer could be that aggressive. Oh, it's insane. That, within a couple of days. It was insane. It was not. I wish I'd taken a picture. Maybe I didn't delete it because it was so horrifying. Uh, I can't remember. Um, but, yeah, he... Um, he just gave me that diagnosis, sent me off to get scheduled... Um, and I mean, I remember tears streaming down my face, but I wasn't like, it was more of this, like, I don't know if it's a, I wouldn't call it a, a masculine quality, but it was like, I can't feel what I need to feel right now until I get done with scheduling with the nurse, getting to my car and maybe reaching out to like my family, which were, like I said, a 10 hour, 12 hour drive away. Yeah. Damn, man. Um, I feel like my palms are sweating again. <laughs> so Welcome to my world. Uh, so um, so this is where the biggest, the answer to your question, kind of long way, how did it affect me? So I'm, I'm sitting in my car, my phone's dead, and I'm forced to sit with my thoughts while my car is charging my phone. Hmm. I cannot reach anyone I care about. I have no support in this moment. I'm sitting in the parking lot, keenly aware, watching the clouds move somewhat fast. And realizing the world is spinning on without me in my worst moment. And I can come and go and be a speck of dust in the grand scheme of things. And in that moment, I, I kind of had this voice in my head. I'm not a very religious person. I'm pretty spiritual. This voice was definitively not mine, we'll say. And it said, the voice said, charm, but really my name. I have a finite amount of suffering to deliver to the world. Today, it takes the shape of cancer for you. I can give you cancer, or I can send it to someone else. And people always wonder if they're a good person or not. 
you never really get the opportunity to know if you are if you if altruism is a result of you wanting to please other people and feel the feelings of good from being a good person or if you're actually a good person and you are willing to suffer for other people and my knee-jerk instant thought in my head was like the fastest series of thoughts was no 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 i want this cancer i do not want this cancer to go to someone else even if i never knew who it went to it could go to a child. It could go to a single parent of three. It could go to a person who's going to cure disease. Who am I to deny having cancer, being young, vital, healthy, no children, no dependents, having done nothing to a degree where my absence on this planet is actually, in this case, doesn't have as much of a ripple effect in terms of negatively affecting the world. Wow. Never, That's a wild moment, man. Never have I felt so small but never did I feel like I had everything to gain. It's a really mature way to look at it, and I, I don't know that a lot of people would have seen it that way or felt that way. Um, yeah, that's intense. Yeah. That's intense. Um, so I, I said, I want this cancer, and it's almost like they did studies that said your cells listen to your thoughts. And what you mentally prepare for physically, internally, whatever you galvanize yourself towards um, in preparation for something like surgery or, or whatever physical ordeal you're about to deal with, if you can think positively about it, your cells shift energetically. They align with the intention of going to war internally. They're, like, they're ready to do battle. Right. Your mind has that much control. Um, and I'm going to get into that later on a deeper level. But... For me, it was something really synced up internally. And it was, it was taking away the victimhood mentality of saying, poor me, this is happening to me, I, I have cancer, and changing it to, cancer has me. If anyone in my family could have cancer, I'm the best for it. I have the best attitude, I have the best resources. Um, you know, my mom's a brilliant doctor, she's got three medical degrees. Like I am, I'm, I'm set. I'm ready for this, and uh, and like I said, you know, if I win, everything to gain. If I lose, well, I don't leave anything other than you know uh, my name to echo in the mouths of a few loved ones until it's done being said. So, it was um, it was a moment where, when it came to having my phone charged, I felt like a whole other person. It was maybe ten minutes, tops, but I felt. Like I needed that 10 minutes alone. I needed my phone to be dead. I needed all of these circumstances to happen for me to have this very favorable um, mental preparation that would switch a whole modality of my approaching every problem I've ever encountered since. Like everything in my life has been to this point and from that point on has been directly connected with my ability to just say, let's go. Like, let's do this. Let's handle it. Let's handle it. Like... You know, so if, if I die, I die. If I break, I break. Yeah. But until that moment happens, until I find that point, I have every reason to move forward. It's a great way to look at it, man. That's, I wish everyone could. It's hard. I mean, it, 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 you want to think that in a situation like that, you could separate yourself from the situation and objectively make what you felt like was a choice. Yeah. I, and this is the first time I've, you know, heard somebody feel like that at, 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 a, at a moment of weakness, at a moment of vulnerability, that they had the ability to choose. 
and that may be just very unique to you but if whether it is or it isn't it's a special moment and and something that you'll never forget no and, and never and also something you can use to carry you through what whatever else comes at you in life yeah right I mean, anything that's come at me i go well hey if i can be cancer i can handle this hey if i can walk away from a plane crash i can handle this you know like it's become a benchmark so you're right it does become a point of strength instead of adversity after i've seen myself come through it don't you wish sometimes you could just like put that in someone's head oh every just, day of my and life just give, and just give them that kind of strength you know but with with, with I have a, a, a friend that I've basically grown up with and uh, <clears throat> and this person uh, you know recently lost their mother mm-hmm. uh, to cancer <sighs> unfortunately and uh, you know I was there for her and the shoulder to cry on and all that she spent a lot of time here at my home mm-hmm. and she she expressed to me that I gave her strength and that my strength helped her deal with what she had to deal with and I considered it and she got up and spoke at her mom's funeral and all this and and it was a level of intestinal fortitude Mm. that uh, I've kind of felt shook Mm. because I didn't know that I could do the same thing God forbid at my mom's own funeral. Oof. But she came to me afterwards, and it, and it's kind of an emotional thing for me. But she came to me and she told me, "Your strength, you and your brother, your family, you know these these very small core of friends, gave me what I needed to mo- to move forward." And it was it was one of the most humbling experiences of my life, man. Yeah, was, I, um, I can only imagine. I can I can't imagine even. Gosh, where to start on that? Um, I want to start by saying what this brand, this entity that I've created is about is really just authenticity. And it's to me, it's not trying to take advantage of sensationalism and tragedy. It's, but there are people like yourself who I've met and I've kept in my life because I went through an exodus of cutting people out of my life as soon as I had heard I had cancer. I mean people I've been waiting on the change, people I felt like, you know, I don't know how to describe it, but a part of me was just really hoping they'd, they'd become who, who I needed. And I decided, you know, they don't owe me anything. I don't, I'm not entitled to that, their potential. And I gotta be stopped waiting on, on the potential of others and gotta keep close to people who actually matter. Man, say that again for somebody that didn't pay attention. <laughs> you gotta stop waiting on feeling entitled to the potential of other people in your life when you'll ne- probably never see it. I think a lot of us do that. No, we do. We, we have friendships just out of the nature of getting to that point where maybe that person is going to be what we see them capable of being. And it's a waste of our time. Because 90% of those people, unfortunately, no offense to anyone in particular out there that's feeling that, but you can't you cannot change and encourage that in another person no matter how good you are with words no matter how amazing of a friend you are um, like you Jeremy you are uh, you are when people talk about you I got to talk to the, the, the you know the listeners here um, Jeremy is one of my oldest friends and anytime we have disconnected and reconnected it was like 
uh, the time, you know, that this temporal mystery was irrelevant. It was, um, you know, whatever star carbon I originated from and his star carbon since the beginning of time, we've always been close and happy to find each other over and over again as uh, true friends, as, as brothers. Um, you know, he, he came to me at a time in my life when I, I had very few, um, let's just say male role models. I had, I had them, but uh, nothing that I wanted to expose vulnerability with out of fear of judgment. And, and I have, over time and time again, it showed vulnerability and self-criticism uh, to Jeremy. Um, and he has never echoed any negative sentiment I have in my head and has kept me um, always excited about, um, you know, the things that are important in life. So he, he does, when you listen to him talk, he, he definitely practices what he preaches. And when he talks about someone else bringing to light something about him that moves him, it's because he's probably hearing it for the first time because he doesn't talk to himself like that, no doubt. I've been so fortunate, man, to have people in my life that are good people. And it's not, I can't, I can't claim it as a result of being a good person myself. I wouldn't do that. That's not who I am, but, um, and not to get too awful deep to it, but I think sometimes the energy and the attitude that you exude and that you put out, uh, attracts or deters, mm. uh, you know, my father told me something one time, and I don't know where he got it from. I know it's not unique um, to him. But he said people will forget probably what you said. They might forget what you did, what you looked like, uh, what car you drove, where you lived. But people never forget how you made them feel. Mm -hmm. uh, and emotion is such a huge part of who we are that it becomes... Sometimes for, too, for some people it becomes too much of who they are. <clears throat> finding finding space to allow the emotion <sighs> this is deep okay no, I'm, I'm not going gonna, I'm not gonna going step to my foot into this too far but it's okay in my opinion in my experience in my recent and not so recent just everything that's happened in my it's okay to feel the emotion it's okay to process the emotion it's okay the one thing that will destroy you internally or allow you to destroy yourself mm -hmm. is becoming the emotion yes and that's like that's been something that i've leaned on uh, i actually had it on the background of my phone for a while mm. it was it's okay to feel it it's okay to process it it's okay to deal with it don't become the emotion no and there's a lot to unpack there right but 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 uh I agree, you know, by the, the way, hundred percent. The like, friendship and the, the the friendship and the and the people that we surround ourselves with uh, becomes a, such a big part of who we are if well, we let it. They say you become your six closest people. Not, I mean, your friends, your family, you, whoever you spend this, the six people you spend the most time around. Uh, how often have you taken a? How often have you taken inventory of who those people are? Um, very often. Really. Um, not so actively that I have like the list in my head, but I have taking inventory for the sole purpose of making sure I didn't bring someone so close to me that I recognized that their influence was a detracting one. Um, yeah, it's like Arthur and the Knights, they're on table. I, I would choose as carefully as, as that. I have a bad habit of cutting people off sometimes. I don't say it's a bad habit. When they fuck up, I... If it stems from ego, then it would be. Because we got to think about our intention behind an action like that. 
And if, if you can connect with the intention, because ultimately, whatever actions you do in life, they don't come with good, evil, correct, and incorrect, as long as you feel like they serve you. But if you're doing something that serves you with the intention of, like I said, like an air of, of ego defensiveness, a, a fear of, of you know what could lead to growth or uh, maybe intimate connection with someone, there's an example of something negative. But at the same time, I just said that I cut all, like a whole freaking lit, like a freaking tome of people out of my life because I was not willing to put any energy into anything that wasn't going to keep me healing, alive, growing. And I mean it. I mean, like, I never accepted help or asked for help. I just wasn't raised like that. In fact, I was encouraged directly with a certain standards, and the standards included never asking someone for help, never being in someone's debt. You know, the same kind of advice that you'd be like, the sensible advice to me would be like, never show up empty-handed if you can help it. You know, it's like tenants like that that seem so sensible, but realize that when you embrace it too deeply, it can apply to things that just it shouldn't apply to. That's um, That's been a standard in my life, too. Well, you were raised by good, you know, good parents. I, I, had, I had great parents, and they taught me a lot. Um, and there, and, and there's, a, there's been a lot of advice that they gave as well that doesn't translate as, as well as it could in today's environment, in today's climate. But you're referring to things like, what, toxic masculinity and, or, or like right, social, social norms? There's, there's just so much to it. There's just so much to it where you could, you could, um, you know, yeah, like the whole, you know, I, I'm going to bring a car back with a full tank of gas, mm. of course. I'm gonna be a gen- there's, there's standards we have as adults that, um, that, can, that can help, just, just help us overall. But <clears throat> there's also things, yeah, and, and you mentioned toxic masculinity, that's a, that's kind of a hot button issue for a lot of people mm-hmm. um, wh- and what I mean by let me clarify so that's not lumped in with a preconceived notion or maybe a uh, your online uh, you know Wikipedia entry or, or God forbid urban dictionary um, sure. <laughs> entry um, what I refer to is a um, let's see uh, an environment in the rite of passage of going void a man where um, certain things aren't perpetuated out of the disconnect of of a male a good male bonder or, or male bonds in general in a community um, men are not all that encouraged to to band together and, and share in something um, unless it comes with a, a definitively um, well definitively um, a physical uh, or report based competitive element um, you know, like we have martial arts is a perfect example, um, you know, things like that. But just for men to just be men and just learn from each other and share their emotions with each other. Because if you ever observe men and be meta with it and be among your own male friends, what you'll see within the first few minutes is the report system unfold. And it's basically men report to each other what's going on through a categorical list of things in their head that they think their friends will respect or not. And more often than not, that's pretty vapid. But sometimes, it can be. But, it can be. but sometimes it's just a lighthearted way of just 
sharing what you feel you're allowed to share and hoping that it invites someone to kind of reach out and, and check on you. I'm glad you said it that way. I, I, I have probably different opinions than you or maybe not so different opinion, opinions than you. Um, I, think, I think the term toxic masculinity and, and I think to, to uh, I, I guess I've, I've, I've heard people say I think too much. Um, <laughs> Better to think e too much than not at all. Even the, even the term masculinity has sort of become de devalued a little bit these days and uh, has kind of turned into a dirty word for a lot of people. There's a lot of people who point to, to masculinity as something that's negative and they feel like that people should be a little bit more gender ambiguous with their characteristics. I I strongly disagree with that um, <clears throat> sentiment in the regard that uh, kind of one of the things you mentioned is you get a group of guys together and to me they become they we start bonding with each other and trying to form bonds because we're looking for an attachment yeah. because we're looking for a friendship I think as men as men we're not like you said, we're not necessarily encouraged to ask for help. We're not necessarily encouraged to look for support. We find that there's a lot of standalone traits there. Not just with other men, just in general. With right. Women. Right. And it, and it becomes a bad thing at, at sometimes because we, we look to be the strength when sometimes we're not strong. And it mm. can lend itself to uh, an unhealthy an unhealthy amount of uh, sort of feigned independence mm. when really we should be asking for help. May I, may I ask what, what you find value? What do you find valuable in having strength? Like what is it about strength, having it, that's important to you as Jeremy? My upbringing, I think everyone's up, I think. Everyone's upbringing has a way of sometimes molding them into who they are. So my own father is one of those people that is very self-sufficient and very um, what's the word? I you could call it you could call it uh, you know it, the the sort of the essence of masculinity for him. Is there a difference but, between strength in your mind and male strength? Sure. I mean, I, I mean, men and women could both have strength. Mm -hmm. uh, men's, men's value, I have found, seems to generally be tied in, or the perception of men's value has generally seems to be tied into, in a lot of cases in today's, or maybe always yeah, into what we can provide. Yes. So agreed. being a provider, being a protector, being that, mm -hmm. that I would consider that a strength and not necessarily an innate strength, mm -hmm. but something that's practiced. Okay. So to me, strength is not just obviously physical, but a mental fortitude that follows men or women. Just capability. Right, right, right. So, capability and, and not, not necessarily even independence. And my next question um, is, imagine yourself walking in a parking garage late at night and you're coming within close proximity of another man. Um, 
what is the what's the thought you have? What would you say one of the first thoughts as you as you kind of as that that man is brought to your awareness and that proximity is approaching? Being that I'm a, an overly observant person, there's always an element of what what maybe their intention could be or what they're up to. Mm-hmm. But I don't find that there's a lot of fear involved. I think it doesn't have to be. Yeah, and and so, so observation would be my first so like their thought intention. is what you know, what do they look like? What are they doing? Mm-hmm. What's what's their body language like? Etc. If you perceive that that intention, that body language, all of those are red flags, what is your next thought? My next thought is to at least be vigilant of my proximity to them. Mm-hmm. And how they could p- potentially affect me. There you go. So, walking through the, the this very universal line of thinking, which is I love to bring this up, is uh, this isn't strictly a, a masculine thing, but um, this is a, a very interesting element uh, of of the human experience. And it's when you are alone and you are about to enter the proximity of another person, um, generally. We're going to have a series of survival thoughts first. And those survival thoughts are rooted in, does this person have negative intentions? Can we take them, ultimately, if they do? How would we fare? What can we do to circumvent that? And most male friendships have to break beyond that initial threat assessment. Do you agree or disagree? I, I agree when, with the when, way that I yeah the, when, when you're strangers what you're saying sure you ha- the, the thought crosses your mind at one point when you're getting to know someone is if this person wished me harm how how would how would it, how would we fare can we be comfortable with that in mind if the answer is so no, I think this person not well. kick my ass <laughs> yeah and and are, are we okay with that you know and and do we want to get closer to this person with that in mind can we be vul- truly vulnerable with that that other guy um, emotionally or not. As a combat athlete, as someone who's in that world, as a trainer, I do make that assessment on almost everyone I meet. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it's a universal assessment, though. I believe it. I believe it subconsciously. It is. I believe. Um, you know, I've, I've talked, and it, it, there's a you know sociology classes. The t- the professor has brought this whole thing up, and I would say that it's a small sample size, but a classroom has indicated this is pretty common. Um, people I've talked to it's common most women very much so look to the stranger in the, the garage the parking garage scenario and do immediately threat assessment right a potential hazard right because us men forget you know what it's like to have uh, such an obvious discrepancy uh, uh, in, in threat uh, not, not assessment but uh, response you know it's just one of those awful things that uh, exists out in the world where you kind of have to go through the uh, before you have a good human connection to kind of understand as best as you can what that person poses as a danger to you before you could do anything else. I hear a lot of, I, I, I've heard that kind of thing echoed a lot. Uh, I have a friend who's, um, I guess that's a, a generous term, but she's a real, real serious feminist and she's... Mm-hmm mentioned to me a couple times like I don't I don't feel safe and that's smart mm. because you never know 
what what someone's up to, what we're think, what they're thinking, what they've been through, who they are, what they're capable of, and I think it's a, I think it is a wise thing to consistently assess whatever threat it is. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a person. So obviously. you could be crossing the street and you need to make an assessment on what your level of danger is, green light or not. Right. You need to look both ways. I, I look both ways on a one-way street, just, man. I, I don't same. trust. I don't trust people. Same, same. <laughs> so this has been something that she's presented to me more than once about. Well, you know, you don't want. You don't know what it's like to be a female. Um, you know, you, you, it's so scary because you know you can't walk past a group of guys at night, and uh, I don't like to walk past a group of guys at night either. Right. Finding the difference. Finding vigilance in. Finding vigilance in your life and and practicing observation is just a it should be just a good habit. Mm. The dynamic difference of what you just brought up and the similarity of you have with this female friend of yours is something I, I have to remind myself all the time. You know, as as someone who has dedicated a lot of time and energy into um, organizations like Rise that are women's advocacy groups and and, and raise money for um, services to help with women who are survivors. Well, it's not just women, but anyone who's survivors of domestic violence and things like that. But the interesting thing is, we are, you people like you and I are definitely uncomfortable walking through a group of, just say, five or six guys. I mean, maybe they've been drinking, maybe they're talking loud, maybe they've got that energy of they, they could turn. Sure. We, that's definitely a threat assessment. Don't want to deal with that. But we also don't have, on top of that is, innately, we don't have our first thought is, do we have something that those group of guys wants from us? You know, unless I'm carrying a backpack with $100 bills coming out of it as I'm walking down the street. Or even just your wallet. Yeah, just but your I, wallet. I get what you're saying. I get, I, I I get mean, where you're going with it. Yeah, well, Dave Chappelle, he had this amazing statement that I, I think about a lot. And he said the first time I think he got paid cash or paid one of his big, big payments, it was like $25,000 for a show. And all he had was a backpack. And he said something that I just, I just, I, I, I just, I still think about it. I haven't really settled on it, but he said, I suddenly had something on me that people would, all people would want. Everyone around me would want, if they could take it from me with no consequences, they probably would. And it made me so fearful just walking down the street. And then it dawned on me that that's very likely, in his words, what it's like to be a woman. It's, yeah, it's it's a concept, and it's um, is that intense? It, it is intense. It is intense. Um, and it certainly can let you in if you have no idea on why a yeah. lot of a lot of women. I I, I mentioned it for that reason. Find it's, this it's an entry point. Find a find a their own space in like a possibly like a victim mentality. Um, or a fearful life of what might happen to them. Right. It's it not would a be good way very of easy to fall into. Yes. It it would be very easy to fall into, and I and I've mentioned this before on the podcast. It's unfortunate that that a lot of people, not specifically women, no anyone, but uh, a lot of people, minority groups, whoever it doesn't matter. Um, has generated fear as a currency and victimhood as a currency and found 
a lot of solidarity in other people because I don't I, and I, and I know that this might be where you and I have a little bit of a disconnect, but I think there it goes again. Um, everyone has a level of fear about mm. something, of course. And when we sell that and when we buy into that, that's when we start to generate uh, a lot of negative energy towards our lives in general, and we find it right. So let's so let's say I was angry at you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Charm, dude, you're pissing me off. I don't like what you're doing. I don't, you, whatever it is. Then at that point, everything about you would annoy me. Mm-hmm. Look at him over there eating his sandwich like he <laughs> fucking owns the place. So I've dealt with people like that. <laughs> and there's people like that, right? But it, when something about someone annoys you, or when you find uh, um, agitation, when you find agitation with something, it, it, it continues to perpetuate itself. Mm. And yeah. so I think for the, <laughs> I got to quit saying I think, God damn it. Yeah. So that's a very easy trap to fall into for people. And for me personally, I try to help people out of that. Yeah. I, I 100% agree with you. We're not disconnected there. What I've observed in society, I try to focus on the individual. I think if we start with the individual, you know, many myriad of things can change in society. It's harder to change society towards the individual. Um, you're right. Fear is a currency. What I've noticed is that it can be used one of two ways. Way one, it's used to divide. And way mm-hmm. two, it's used to unite. There is, you can argue the good and evil of, of those situations. Um, I definitely see that in my own life as the individual, fear has, has a place to be observed internally as a, a stepping stone towards the root of it. What is it I care so much about losing that I am having this visceral response? Hey. Hello. And why is it affecting how I look at something that I should be looking at, at the very least objectively, but I can't? I, what wish, my, more, yeah, I yeah. wish more people could ask themselves that question. And I, and I challenge you, you listeners, to take someone or something that's right now you're going with that that elicits a, a vitriol in you that you believe, and I'm sure you have some moral high ground to stand on versus this, but if you can, disband with the moral high ground so that you could better understand what is it that this entity, this maybe a group, whatever it is, what, what threat does it pose you and why, what is it that you care so much about maintaining against losing it? To... I guess to reference myself, there's a there's there's a reason why I, I teach jujitsu. There's a you reason you teach jujitsu. I do. I do. <laughs> Are you good? Are you good? Time. No, I'm not as good as I want to be. You, do you have one of them black belts that I got I, that I'm wearing I, right now? I'm actually not wearing a belt at all. <laughs> uh, one of the reasons why I I, I teach jujitsu is jujitsu is a really effective equalizer. It's an effective force multiplier. That's it's, that's the sound of me kissing Jeremy on the head right now. It's 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 a it's a way that a smaller person could uh, potentially defend themselves or overcome a larger person in a competition sense or in a self defense uh, in an altercation. Um, I don't like the word empowerment. I think it's corny. I think it's used too much. And I think... How about self-discovery? I like that. 
I prefer that. But I will use the word empowerment here because when I walk into a room and let's say there's a hundred people, I can look around and know that I have trained enough and I'm confident enough that if any one of those people were to try to get weird, that I could defend myself or someone else. Now, I'm not plugging for my jiu-jitsu class. Which is an exceptional class, by the <laughs> way, because he's not going to plug it in. But allow me to say as a student, infrequent at best, but someone who has throughout the years always um, devoted myself to self-improvement um, physically and mentally, uh, Jeremy's an instructor, um, most certainly breaks the mold. Thank you for that. I, I think... <laughs> Can you just take a shot every time I say I think um, you're going to be drunk I, at the I end can, of this I can, episode? I can punch you take right in the femoral artery every time. <laughs> so, Krav Maga, Jiu-Jitsu, fitness, uh, physical fitness, mental mm-hmm. health, all of that can be a tool. And in my case, it's Jiu-Jitsu. It's, 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 a, it's a, a pursuit of mastery in a martial art in a self-defense art but Man. even carrying that with you even car- carrying just the confidence level that I train now I might be wrong I might walk into that room and there might be 5 or 10 or 20 people or more Depends who could fuck right. me up <laughs> however Green Beret convention <laughs> however <laughs> The mental strength that that gives me mm-hmm. is is far superior to any physical ap- attribute that I have. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. And 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 people should have access to that, wouldn't you say? So, that's what I want to promote. Mm. I want to promote that mental health, mm. that confidence, freedom from fear. That's would be a, a goal of mine. Oh yeah, if you, if you imagine a society um, that was free of that that fear. That, that feeling of walking to a room and, and perceiving a disadvantage in some way or another, I think you would have a less divided country or world. There's so much to talk about there, yeah. but I agree with you. See, I, I walk in a room and I, I know that everyone's going to kick my ass. And for me, it's my jujitsu is being just really friendly. <laughs> no, I disagree with that. But I do, I do agree with some of what you said. So the best way to win a fight is to not fight at is all. Is to not fight at all. Yeah. So I'm not saying learn how to fight so if someone messes with you, you can beat them up. I'm saying find a level of confidence in whatever it is that you do to be excellent. I and love that so Translate much. that into your life. Mm. Personally, I have been on the mat with, man, I used to have this one student. <clears throat> Wonderful fella, 6'2", 6'3", over 300 pounds, intensely muscular, used to play uh, college football. It's just a, he looked like a guy from the Green Mile. He was massive. <laughs> right. Michael and Clark Duncan. I used to, I used to pr- practice jiu-jitsu with this guy and actively compete with him. To test your skills. To test my skills yeah. and as his instructor. And there was a major, major disparity of, of strength. Absolutely, I remember and, at and one this, point in time. For people who've never seen Jeremy, dude's strong. 
Dude, dude is dude is actively training every day with uh, a myriad of, of modalities. As and as a trainer, they are effective. He is kicking butt. So when he says dude. there's a discrepancy of strength, um, this guy that is that's saying something. <laughs> I remember the first time I got on his back, and I thought the fight was over. I thought the match was over, and I um, I sunk the hooks, which is when you climb on someone's back and you and you put your heels. Um, in over the top of their legs and you kind of hook into the inside of their thighs yeah. for leverage. I climbed on his back, sunk my hooks in, and I reached my arm over for a rear naked choke and he cast me off of his back like a fishing pole. <laughs> that to say I wish this, I could have seen that. That to say this, <laughs> I know I felt like my arm was going to rip off. I didn't expect it. <laughs> so... That to say this, I I put myself in a situation. I put I've been in situations where I've had a giant man on top of me, actively trying to strangle me, or force me to give up, and a whole bunch of different right. strong, awesome dudes. Um, I've been lucky to have great training partners, but <clears throat> so it's not the ability that I could that I could beat that guy. Mm. It's not that I'm stronger than him. It's not that I can out technique him. It's that I have the confidence. That I've been in there with this guy. And I didn't panic. I didn't quit. Mm. I had to, and I, and I want to confess this, and this is me being really, uh, really bare and open. I am really claustrophobic. Hmm. So to have a three over 300-pound guy on top of you actively trying to strangle you that you cannot just muscle out and get away from. Right, you can't create space at all. It's, it scared the shit out of me. Of course, I didn't want to say it. I don't want to say it now, but when you've been in a situation, that's that's how it's like when, you, when I'm when I'm find... under you, dude. <laughs> welcome, welcome to the club, man. <laughs> when you find yourself in a place that there is really no out, but you don't panic, mm. and you find the mental fortitude to push forward and yes. keep trying, regardless of what that situation is. Let's. Let's replace this 330-pound guy with bills. Public speaking. Public speaking. Um, whatever it is. The fill, pretty, the pretty fill, girl you want to talk to. Fill in the blank. <laughs> yeah. You can do it. You can do, you're, you're, you can do it. And, and what's worse is um, that people will, will settle with the belief that they can't and never desire to explore it rather than taking the risk and just just seeing, just in the alone, learn about themselves. And that to me is how I see people living in victim mentality. Yeah, and that's what I try to promote is in everything that is old world charm, it is expose yourself to any opportunity that allows you to take that experience and use it as a well-polished mirror to look more clearly into, to look at yourself. And that's what people are in your life, that's what experiences are, that's what challenges are. It's, they're just different mirrors that wish to see yourself at different angles to it, because you can go your whole life without really knowing who you are. Um, combat sports is just one excellent mirror to get a look at who you are and what you're capable of, um, emotionally, mentally. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't, I don't, I try to identify as a fighter, but really, I at my root, I, I think if I had to choose, it'd just be as a lover, you know, which I, I affectionately and jokingly say, uh, you know, when I fight, I go for the erogenous zones. 
Um, mm. but <laughs> oh, oh god <laughs> so you coming to class tonight right, what's up oh <laughs> uh, yeah i bring the candles around the mat yeah <laughs> who's Perfect. gonna take you home that. <laughs> um but no i mean it's one of those things that everything that you are afraid of should be something you challenge yourself to understand why just watch at the very least the bare minimum i'm not asking anyone listening right now to go and just face their fear but at the very least, question it. At least expose yourself to the possibility that it doesn't have to be a mystery. You're, it's okay to be afraid. But I want, you to, I want someone to tell me why they're afraid. And most people can't. A lot well, of people are afraid. I think so many, Everyone is. So, so many people live in a fear of something, and it's freaky. It's kind of funny. I tell my dad. I don't even remember where this came from. Uh, I, I tell my dad when I see him, hey, don't be scared. And he, he reminds me all the time. He'll tell me, uh, we, before we get off the phone, don't be scared, son. That's cool. Being That's cool afraid thing. is normal. Being Having fears is normal. Mm. Not having any fears is not fucking normal. No, that's that's um, a short lifespan for those people. Yeah, there's not a, not a good sense of self-preservation there. That's what fear is. That's rude. Self-preservation. So tell us again how we can get a hold of you, sir. Well, um... For anyone who wants to have a, a you know more open dialogue, please reach me on Instagram at uh, underscore old world charm underscore uh, old world charm old world charm one okay. word yes and then um, yeah from there there's you can find a, the link in my bio that connects you to the myriad of social media avenues um, right now I'm I'm really just trying to um, develop. Um, a, a brand that caters to um, what is being communicated as the wants of the people I'm engaging with. So uh, if you are someone who wants to get a hold of me and, and, and you know, wants to connect with me, uh, please feel free to communicate. Uh, I do my best right now. I'm, I describe myself as small but growing quick, and I'm at my most accessible. And All I right. can't imagine it getting any, any easier than it is now. Well, I, I, I will say there is a lot of... Uh, there is a lot of you shirtless. Yeah. Yeah, there is. I you got an amazing physique, I guess if I if I'm working I had, on it. if I had that, I would probably do the same thing. I wasn't sure what to think when I first saw it. I I'm a smart ass and sometimes I want to make silly comments. <laughs> but uh, I don't always I, I know it comes I, from a good place. I, it's coming from a good place and this good natured ribbing is uh I, it's me encouraging you to be better. I, I say this. Or also I, just I don't think I am I'm hot shit. I like I like looking at my body as something that has gone through a lot and I'm proud of what I have been able to control in it. I am someone who's dysmorphic. I do not see what I present. I see this scrawny 17-year-old uh, kid. I see someone who's got some really um, you know, some, some surgery scars from cancer, from, from all kinds of stuff. And what I have to be um, candid about, you know, and kind of just reveal is um, my, my self-expression is always presenting parts of me that, is, um, that makes me feel vulnerable, uh, that makes me feel uh, exposed to, um, you know, criticism and... Um, and, and while balancing the appreciate the appreciation of how far I've come, so 
I always, always, I can laugh at myself every day of the week. I do not take myself so seriously. And uh, I also enjoy that I happen to have a demographic of viewers or, um, you know, people who engage me on social media who, who appreciate uh, the way I look while I am always under the belief that I'm not what I want yet. Well, you're an intensely handsome man with a great body. Listen, man, this has been fun. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Yes, I, I, I know we got a to, chance yeah. to like, we got a, t- a chance to catch up, and it's been a fun conversation. It's and, been and perfect. Really, in the in the lineup of my podcast so far, I've had a couple kind of serious ones, and I would I would put this one in there with a little bit less frivolity and a little bit more intention, and mm. um, if anything, learning and and an encouragement yeah. to kind of look inward and figure out what it is you're afraid of, take a look at those fears, and and work on them. Yeah. Self-education with yourself as the subject could not benefit you more than anything else. That's a great way to end this, man. Yeah. I see the charm signal lighting up outside. I, I got to go. It's about time. <laughs> it's about time your audience needs you. Your followers need you. There Guys, you give them a follow. Give them a like. Maybe try to learn something. He's a very intelligent man, and you could probably all benefit from uh, learning a little bit. And if nothing else, figure out how to charm folks, huh? There it is. Thanks for listening, guys. Take we're care. Gonna, we're going to slap a little, put a bow on this one and slap it on the bottom and send it into podcast land. Thanks for sticking with us, and we will be back with another guest before too awful long. Anyways, and I'd, I'd love to come back. To I'd love to have you back. We'll, we'll let the, we'll let the uh, viewers of the podcast decide. Give me feedback, guys. We'll talk more about this. And go fuck yourselves because we all like to do that. <laughs> <laughs>